Hey out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to the 98th episode of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. Brought by your host, the Wolf Mac B. And as always, I will shortly be joined by my partner in crime from the East Coast of the U.S., Gary Action Jackson. Uh, and we hope you tuned in last week to our Keith Richards Main Offender episode. I apologize for the sound on that. We recorded that a long, long time ago. It was before we mastered the art of recording. It was before we were part of Pantheon Podcast, and they've helped us improve our game quite a bit on that front. So I uh, want to give them the due respect, and, and thank you for listening. I know it was a little rough, but we kind of kept it in our back pocket for a while in case we ever needed an episode, in case there was an emergency, and for some reason we couldn't do a show. We would have that. Well, as we're on the 30th anniversary of the Main Offender album, I thought, well, we might as well just go ahead and release that, get it out there to folks, warts and all, uh, and then we can prepare for Nick Mason's Saucer Full of Secrets. On tour in the U.S. right now, and you know that we're giving away a VIP experience through Pantheon Pods and the Ugly American Werewolf in London. You get a chance to upgrade your tickets and get a lot of cool free stuff to see Nick Mason Saucer Full Secrets. They're out there doing the pre-Dark Side Pink Floyd tunes. It's an amazing show. I saw it at Royal Albert Hall. And I'm getting ready to come back to the U.S. so I can see them in Indianapolis at Close Hall on Friday, October 14th. Now, if you're hearing this, going to be too late to get the VIP experience to Indianapolis. But if you're in the rest of the country for future dates, you can go to pantheonpodcast.com backslash Nick Mason and enter to win the VIP experience. Get your tickets upgrade, get your cool laminates, get your special guitar pick made out of Nick Mason symbols, which is really cool. And then go to the booth. Not only by the merch booth will you find the cool Nick Mason gear, but you'll be able to meet a Pantheon podcaster. And if you're coming to Indianapolis on the 14th, you can meet me and Action Jackson, and we'd love to meet you. We can't wait to hear how you found Pink Floyd. If you listen to our show, why you like it, why you don't, let us know. We want to meet you. We want to know if you like our show. We want to know how much you love Pink Floyd. I want to know what this show means to you that night, and maybe we'll even talk to you, get you onto one of our shows. That would be fun, wouldn't it? Of course it would. So thanks to Pantheon Podcast for helping us sponsor Nick Mason, and you can listen to us speak with Guy Pratt and Gary Kemp of The Rock on Tours and of Nick's band on episode 96. You can also hear me review the show from Royal Albert Hall in London, that's episode number 75, but be sure that next week's show, number 99, is going to be all about the review of the show we go to in Indianapolis. And I want to give a shout out to our other Pantheon brethren and sisters out there, like Christy Alexander Hallberg from Rock is Lit. She had us on her most recent episode talking about Dazed and Confused and some of the rock and roll soundtracks that we've loved over the years. Big shout out to Jay Scott at The Hook Rocks as I'm going to be in Chicago for one night. My boy Jay's trying to hook me up some pizza recommendations for me and the Wolf Cub. Thank you, Jay. Big shout out to Paul Stevenson of Vintage Rock Pod, great guy, and This Day Rocks. He's got an amazing voice. He's got killer, legendary guests on, and is a wonderful guy. And of course, to the guys who we've admired for years, and that's Tom and Zeus of the Shout It Out Loud cast, the number one KISS podcast on the planet. All of our Pantheon brothers and sisters, we love you. And I need to give a special shout out to RareVinyl.com because Rare Vinyl is our sponsor. You never want a better sponsor as a rock and roll podcast than RareVinyl.com. They've been doing it almost 40 years. They have over a quarter of a million items in stock from your vintage first print records, CDs, LPs, singles, tour programs. Check it out. They ship all over the world. They've been doing it for 
decades. And if you use code PODCAST, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, you can get 10% off not only your first order, but every order you make through rarevinyl.com or EIL.com going forward. So check it out. You're a Nick Mason fan. You want a rare Pink Floyd disc. You can find it on there. Or if you're a big Ronnie James Dio fan, you want to get that original Elf LP that has him in makeup on it. You want to get some of the old Rainbow first edition LPs or or the original Black Sabbath. I know Black Sabbath is going to re-release uh, like make a 40th anniversary of Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules stuff, but that's what we're going to be talking about on this show. This week, we finally got to see Ronnie James Dio's Dreamers Never Die. It was a biopic documentary kind of chronicling his life from the time he was a little kid in upstate New York and then becoming Ronnie and the Red Caps, becoming the Electric Elves, and then the Elves and Elf, and really leading through his whole career in life. You know, he's an amazing man with the most powerful voice. And really, I think the story is about Ronnie the man and how many people really loved him. You know, that's that's what I got out of this picture, is that people loved Ronnie James Dio, not just fans, but his fellow artists. He was like the Pied Piper or the godfather of the Sunset Strip to all those hard rock bands from the 80s. You know, they worshipped the guy just like the people in the audience did. So it's a great movie that really chronicled his whole life, had some great stories from musicians, from producers, from friends, from Eddie Trunk, from writers like Mick Wall, who helped write his autobiography with Wendy, his wife, after he died. I just love Ronnie James Dio. I love his voice. Once I discovered his talent, I was upset that I didn't know him earlier and why I haven't listened to all of his stuff. A rare talent. He's been dead for about 12 years now. I'm just so glad that this film came out, got the treatment that he deserves. And it was one night only. I saw it in Amsterdam. Jackson had to see it down in, in North Florida there in one night. I wonder if that really makes them money. I don't know. I guess it's the rarity of it. It's only one night, so people have to go that one night. Seems like if you did it for one week or two weeks, you could get more people in there. But I'm not in charge of that. All I know is I enjoyed the film a lot, and I think you will too. And I hope you enjoy listening to our take on it. So why don't we do that now? Why don't you listen to me and Jackson going in-depth on the movie, One Night Only, Ronnie James Dio, Dreamers Never Die, right here on The Wolf. Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. What do you think about these one night only event movies? Well, if you if you get the uh, information, you get to go see them. They're great, but it kind of <laughs> stinks that there's only there's only. Well, I'm glad that they had it on. I think it was Thursday and then a Sunday mm-hmm. because it's not wasn't super convenient for me to go, but I worked it out on a Sunday. I just wonder how it makes money. I mean, to be honest with you, uh, you know, I mean, they've got to make the films, right? They got to ship them to the place. And then you go in there. I mean, my place was fairly well packed. There were empty seats. You could have gotten one the night of, I guess. But it was it was pretty packed. But that's, I think, because you could only go once. You know, I, I just I wonder if you ran it for a week or something like that after work time at, at two or maybe three times for a week. Would it do better than the one or two nights only thing? Yeah, I don't know. My Mine was pretty, I mean, it wasn't a super big theater. I think they actually probably made this for something like this. Okay. There weren't that many empty seats, but yeah, I, I I would agree. How many people just said, eh, it's only once. I'm not going to go. Forget it. I'll just wait till it comes on. I can get it streaming or somebody will put it up on YouTube or something, or I can buy it for four bucks and yeah, watch it. Gotta be a DVD by Christmas is my guess. Right, right. Now they did have a little, I mean, did you stay all the way to the end? So I did because at the very end, after the credits, they had some extra stuff there. Mm-hmm. Correct. Which was, I mean, it was interesting. Uh, it, and I'm glad that I stayed because I was, something was telling me, I think maybe I knew that, but as they were playing some music over the credits. I'm like, ah, I'll sit and listen to this. And it's like, and now exclusive theater content. I'm like, ooh. I'm glad I stayed. <laughs> well, the fact of the matter is I'd had a few beers at that point. So uh, I was ready to uh, go relieve myself of those beers. Oh, uh, righty. But the fact of the matter is nobody was moving. And usually when the credits start to roll, yeah, some people stay through the bitter end. But there's usually some people like, all right, let me start getting my code or, uh, you know, uh, start getting my stuff together. And I knew something was up because nobody moved a muscle. Huh. Like, still okay. halfway through the credits, I'm like, all right, well, this must have like a Marvel end of the credits. There must be mm-hmm. something coming up here, you know. So, but I mean, before we get into the picture, I guess you never really got to see Ronnie play live, did you? Unfortunately, not. No, and and they did show some clips of the Heaven and Hell tour mm. with the with the Black Sabbath guys, and it looked incredible. And so I'm I'm sad that I never got to do that. Yeah, I. I did get to see a couple of those nights of, of heaven and hell, at least two I, I, that I can recall. I, I remember when they went to Radio City Music Hall, and I remember I almost bought tickets to that <laughs> show because I'm like, this is special, and I want to go see it as many places as I could. I saw it in Cleveland, and I saw it in Cincinnati, and I was like, man, maybe I should just go to Radio City, you know, be able to say I saw them in New York, and that would be cool for them, And but it didn't happen. I also got to see him in Dio just as a headlining tour, like a summer amphitheater tour. Okay, uh, but he was the middle act, and the, hmm. op- the opening act was Motorhead, and the, the headline act was Iron Maiden. That's a that's a lot to that's a lot to process in one day. <laughs> it was awesome. It was so cool. And Craig Goldie was, I guess, was back in his band playing guitar for him again. Who was in the film? Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that he'd had such a hard scrabble upbringing. But I mean, a lot of these heavy metal guys. I mean, that's that's kind of you know they couldn't become boxers and become heavy metal 
guitar players, right? Yeah, and, and I think that the the one thing that he was talking about was, you know, just kind of that as a kid or as a young adult, you just feel so isolated. You don't know where to turn to. And then all of a sudden you get this message in this song that you're like, yes, yeah, somebody gets me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're the last in line. Right. Yep, that's correct. me. Yep, yep. That's me. And I'm in my car. And yeah, maybe you're drinking a couple of beers and maybe you're smoking a little weed. I wouldn't recommend it, but hey, that's life. And yeah, you just get this thing where you're like, yes, this person gets me. I, I feel connected to this song. I'm not alone. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of what heavy metal is, I think, all about. I mean, you know, it, it's for the... Those who are considered to be also rands or who are marginalized in society mm-hmm. usually come from hard working class or lower class backgrounds. Uh, and it gives them a little something to, uh, I don't know, to, to hang their hat on, like this is mine and these are my people, uh, and give them some anthems, you know, to get them through what's uh, some hard days in life. Right. And, and I think the other nice thing, too, is that it's not, I mean, I know like uh, the first record, you know, Holy Diver and Rainbow in the Dark did get some airplay. And I mean, that was sold pretty well, but a lot of metal stuff does not. So you feel like this is my own thing. Not everybody knows about this right so it's my personal you know and if you're cool you know about it but you know johnny top 40 doesn't know anything about this music and it was just interesting to see how obviously you know when he was starting off in the 50s i mean that's the thing you know and sebastian (laughs) bach was hey could you believe it man the pre Roddy james deal pre beatles you know and i'm like yeah that's that's absolutely true now one thing i would like to point out is whoever did this film it's hilarious because it was sebastian bach you know, it, I think it says rock singer, huge Dio fan under, yeah. in his credits. And yeah, it, it was it was it was crazy to see him in that 50s getup. And he actually sounded I mean, if he'd have stayed with that, he'd have probably made a pretty good career in the, you know, the Tom Jones, who the, who was the other one? Engelbert Humperdinck in that genre. Thing, yeah. he, I mean, he had the voice to do it. Well, absolutely. And he had the determination. And, you know, he took his band out all over, you know, upstate New York and even, you know, down in the south some, you know, all around up in. New England, he worked, you know, he got out there and did his thing, you know, and it's just, it's amazing how over time, how he continued to meet all sorts of people. And then, but for whatever reason, it just, it never happened for him, right? The recording thing never really happened for him throughout the 60s. He did lots of different 60s stuff. He would mix things up through the 60s. Of course, there was the horrible accident the, the, with the van yeah. that I, I read about that story book. before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I had never heard that story before. But, you know, to, it, that really shows, yeah, determination of, you know, I can't remember who the other guy was in the band, but he was like, are we going to do this again? He's like, we are absolutely doing this again. Okay, let's go. Yeah. You know, I mean, had a friend die in the accident, had to bring a guy back into the band. You know, it's like, nope, we're going to keep doing this. And, you know, and eventually they became the elves and then they just became elf because they were all kind of short anyway. They played this kind of mystical music. And the music of elf is interesting. I guess I really got into, I got into rainbow in college. Okay. I was studying in England for the summer and i don't know i wanted to get into bands that were big in england but but maybe hadn't been huge in america and they had this like double disc best of rainbow that had all three lead singers like all the songs from over the years right Mm -hmm. so so it had stargazer and man on the silver mountain and you know catch the rainbow and all that stuff on there and i was like wow his voice is super powerful and then you know, they'd since you've been gone on there. I'm like, yeah, I remember this is a hit, but I can't believe he did this. 
But you know, but what was interesting about that was so Roger Glover, legendary purple bassist, songwriter, producer, was also eventually in Rainbow, Rainbow mm-hmm. after Ronnie left because basically Elf. I think had gotten some good spots to open for Deep Purple. And they, they they played for some big bands. I mean, they went from playing like clubs to straight to arenas, right? Like right. opening for some of the big bands. So they play with Purple. That's how they meet the legendary and mercurial Richie Blackmore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> the movie kind of just confirmed stuff that we've heard about Blackmore for a long time. Like, like he did not travel with the rest of the band. Like, you didn't just go talk to him and you know, he stayed in a different hotel. Yeah. <laughs> and it was it was it was interesting because they did it in a way that was very matter of fact. Like like you know what he said, he was the deep in deep purple. Like he was just he just did his own thing. He wasn't very friendly. But but like I said, not in a mean way, just like that's how he was. He yeah. didn't eat with the band, he didn't hang around with them, he didn't stay at the same hotel. And that's gotta be a really really weird dynamic when it's like okay hey rich you want to okay i guess he's leaving okay cool well i guess maybe we'll see him tomorrow then. right yeah hope he shows oh, and up he wouldn't and he wouldn't um he wouldn't get dressed with them either he had his own dressing room he had everything was separate like, right really strange back when nobody had separate dressing rooms like Jimmy page and robert plant were those in the same dressing room you know you, yeah you think they'd have space you know no you know richie had his own thing so he was the governor if you will especially after he left deep purple and i think the first Record said Richie Blackmore's Rainbow on it, right? Correct. I mean, you yeah. Know, yeah. So make no mistake, right? Not to mention, I mean, I think he just took Elf, ditched their guitar player, and said, "Now it's called Richie Blackmore's Rainbow." Yeah, yeah and I didn't know that either. I didn't because it was yeah, it was pretty much exactly the same band. Yeah, and, and then it took a while, and then it took it, you know it changed shape, and he started to recruit other people in. I mean, who's in Deep Purple now on the keyboards? Uh, keyboard... Don Airy. Don Airy. Don Airy was eventually in there. Don, Don played with Black Sabbath and I think Ozzy and Deep Purple and Rainbow. Like he's, he's got the, the quadruple, like the heavy rock of that era. He was mm-hmm. in all of them. He may have been in Whitesnake for all I know. In fact, I'm pretty sure at some point he was. So he did a heavy metal keyboard player. Don Airy's your guy. But, you know, and eventually Cozy Powell, you know, gets into the band. And, you know, but what was funny about the Roger Glover thing is Richie apparently really wanted to break into the top 40. He really wanted that big American hit, big American fame, big American record sales. Mm-hmm. And so he wanted that big crossover hit. And you know, since you've been gone is a you know a song that I think Russ Ballard, who's who's written for a lot of people, including our buddies Kiss, written tons of songs over the years. He had that song, and and Glover was in the studio one day, and he was like, "Richie's thinking about doing this song." He's like, "No, he is not. Are you serious? There's no effing way." You know, but not only was Graham Bonnet now in the band, but then in the video. You see Roger Glover there playing the bass. I don't know if they needed a bass player and he was happy to fill in. I don't know if he's like, okay, Richie's finally going to get his American hit, so I want to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. It just seems like if he was that, I can't believe he's going to do that, but then he's in the video. Right. Or on the song, you know. That's interesting, Roger. That's interesting to me. And that had to be a real interesting deal for Rainbow fans when you crack that one open. You're like, this isn't anything like, I mean, this isn't even the same band. It doesn't sound the same. This is, you know, it's, it's now it's, we're looking for the AOR stuff and Ronnie's gone. It, yeah. I think, I think they kind of always had that problem from then on. You really never knew what you were going to get from a rainbow record. Well, so 
was it that Richie just wanted that hit so badly? And, and Ronnie's like, nope, not going to do that. I want to sing about dragons and wizards and stuff like that. And it's like, I just, you know, I, I've been doing this too long to compromise at this point. Because, I mean, by the late 70s, Ronnie's in like his mid-30s, whereas Richie's not that old yet, you know? So, I don't know. But what the kind of the common theme that ran through the whole movie is that you can't fight human nature like mm-hmm. things, things are going to go south. I really wonder if at that point in time, even though that's what Richie wanted, he wanted a, he wanted a, you know, a, his own band. He wanted rock stars is now Ronnie, the star in this thing. And he's like, well, this is really my band and right. I'm in charge. And so maybe we need to go a different direction. I mean, did he know that Ronnie would leave or was he hoping that he would leave? I don't know because I got that feeling and then I got the feeling later on that was exactly the same thing that happened in Sabbath. Well, according to the movie, it said Ronnie never got any royalties from Rainbow until after he died. Right. Correct. And I, I found I'm, I felt bad, but then I'm like, that's the record business. The record business has been screwing people over for years on that. And I don't know if that was the record business. If that was Richie. It probably was Richie. And then they must have they must have had a court case or something. He wouldn't just give up money. Right, of course, right. So yeah, no, I, I think it was Richie and the record company's like, okay, yeah, we've got the big talent. Richie, mm-hmm. you know, he gets the money. It's fine. It's his corporation. He can hire his minions to play on his records, right? Right. And, and, and Richie's always been, I mean, you know, this is his reputation is he's very hard to work with and he's not a very nice character. And so, yeah, he, Ronnie basically goes, yeah, I've got this nice paycheck. We're touring, we're doing all this stuff. And then boom, it's over. And then he was fortunate enough to run into Tony Iommi, I guess, in L.A. Being in L.A. in the late 70s and the early 80s would have been awesome for us, man. We, it, oh my, I was thinking that the whole time, like, oh, my goodness, to just be a fly on the wall. And, we, and some I don't know how this is going to happen. Somehow, some way, we need to get to the Rainbow Room together and have a drink there because that just – there's so much history there. But the crazy part is you got to think about – I was like – Okay, yeah, if this was if this was the late seventies, early eighties, there is no email, there's no social there's media. There's like yeah, you literally just run into somebody at the club. You knew that right. was, that was the place to be. You go and you're like, Oh, hey, do you know so and so? He's sitting right there. Let me go introduce you. Right. So yeah. he, met, he met Tony Iomi and his wife there. That's right. That's right. I have actually been to the Rainbow, and right next door is the whiskey, of course, mm-hmm. where I did meet Carlos Cavasso, tell him how awesome he was, and his girlfriend. We'll call her a dancer, I think was probably All her profession. Right. It's my okay. best guess. Anyway, just a guess, right? Yeah, just a guess. Um, judging by her build and her uh, attire. But anyway, <laughs> maybe a model would be a better, a better. I don't know. Anyway, uh, they're both very nice. It was so cool to be there. It was, uh, and that's what I'm doing. I'm sitting in the rainbow afterwards going, I can't believe it. You know, I wonder if Lemmy's down there because he was still alive back then. I was like, I wonder if Lemmy's downstairs playing video poker right now, man. This place is unbelievable. You know, <laughs> Just part of history that you can go soak up a little bit of, you know. It's it's still there. It may be different, but and there's still rock and rollers around. I mean, that's the yeah. thing. It didn't become, oh, well, now it, it's pop stars, you know. It's it's Maroon 5. Though they're going to fill up. No, it's still real rock and rollers. Well, they had, that, they had that scene with Wendy there, and she was talking about something, and they said once they cut, they turn the music back on, like just whatever was going to like, you know, satellite or whatever. And 
Ronnie came on and, you know, he kind of, she kind of got joked up and I'm like, oh, man. It was a great film. I, I thought it was very well put together. I thought the folks that they had in there were very good. Of course, you knew Eddie Trunk was going to be in there who talks right. about being best friends with Ronnie all the time. Always great to see Glenn Hughes in there mm-hmm. talk, talking about how much he likes Ronnie and we talked about Sebastian Bach. It was cool to see Rob Halford too because it's somebody who was his contemporary who was really really a big fan of his. That's right. I mean, he had nothing yeah. but praise for Ronnie. Correct. And joking about how, you know, he's singing about leather and stuff like that. And Ronnie's <laughs> singing about dragons and stuff. It's like, we should have switched. <laughs> <laughs> Although that was interesting with the, with that, we're skipping ahead a little bit here with that stars. We're all stars or hearing mm-hmm. aid or whatever. The scene where Halford is recording and Ronnie has that look on his face and he just says, do it again. Like, <laughs> you can Whoa. do it. Oh yeah. Like <laughs> that was, I mean, so that was like, that was the, it showed you the reverence that Halford had, but also like, and they've touched on it a couple of times, how Ronnie was a really, really nice guy. Mm-hmm. He was really forth. He was really giving with his time, very kind, but also 100% an insane perfectionist professional. Yeah, that's right. It's it's either it's going to be perfect or we're not doing it. And I'm not accepting this. So do it again. Right. And you know, he may have smoked old pot, you know, uh, during his days, but it doesn't sound like he got into cocaine, which in the seventies and eighties, everybody was doing right. That's what they're they're saying. Like the eighties, LA rock scene. Yeah. Like there was just cocaine everywhere, everywhere in the seventies. Yeah. This is sunny Hollywood Pooney. And you are listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. Why? Somebody has to. But all right, let's let's try to keep it a little bit. I mean, obviously, we skipped over some of his childhood growing up in, in mm-hmm. kind of upstate New York and stuff like that. But look, I mean, I, I've read his book, you know, and that's pretty heavy on that stuff. And it really only goes till what is it, nineteen eighty six or seven, when he when he sells out Madison Square Garden, like that's mm-hmm. the end of the book because Mick Wall, who was in the picture with Wendy, you know, had to kind of finish the book with him and it took them quite a while after his death to do so. But yeah, okay, so he's out of Rainbow and then he gets into Sabbath and he's going to retool Sabbath and they make heaven and hell. Well, now, wait, hold on, wait, 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 hold on a second. Because okay. I want to back up for just a minute because I thought it was interesting when he, apparently he said to Wendy, uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not really feeling this. And she said, we have $800 in the bank. Right. You're going to, you're going to love this song. So it just showed you that at that time, I mean, he had been, he had been a star. He'd been in a big, he'd been in a big Correct. band yeah. that sold records, but he didn't have any money. That's right. So it should come off tour. And the thing is they didn't overcharge for tickets back then. Like a ticket was five twenty five, and you saw mm-hmm. four bands, you know? Yeah. Cause that was back in the days where you made money off of records. That's right. what you, the only reason you were touring was to sell records. And if you don't have royalty rights to those records, yeah, it's just, it's just the paycheck. Right. And that's what he got from, from Richie. Yeah. So then he gets into black Sabbath. They make heaven and hell which to this day is still about, God, it, it's about my favorite heavy metal record of all time. You say, mm. you need, you get to listen to one heavy metal record today. What is it? And, and it's the only one you get this month. That's probably going to be it. Heaven and Hell, start to finish, no clunkers, perfect eight song, heavy metal, classic. And, and that's one thing that Eddie Trunk pointed out is that the original Ozzy stuff is trailblazing. It's, it, it's iconic, but Heaven and Hell is just phenomenal it it beats out anything they did in the early days just because of the i mean you figure they had been together for a while they're right and they got this new guy who i mean i love ozzy he's got a great voice but it's nowhere close 
to Ronnie's. Well, it's not the same. Ronnie can sing anything. He can, yeah. He's got a much bigger range. I mean, Ozzy kind of sings along with the beat and you know, yes. you know, with, with the riff. You know, is he live or dead? Sabbath, bloody Sabbath. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's got some good stuff, but certainly by the end of the seventies, he was in rough, rough, rough shape. Like, well, he, go back we, to your cocaine. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> wasted all the time. Can he come in? He can't write anything. Can he read it? You know, yeah. we don't. Even, we can't even get that out of him. Then what kind of shapes he going to be? And you certainly couldn't take him on like a long tour or anything, right? So they had to ax Ozzy. They get the new guy in, and he steps it up a notch. And the Heaven and Hell record is fantastic and very well received. But Bill Ward is beside himself. You know, mm-hmm. he he Ozzy was his best friend. He missed him terribly. He thought he they had done it wrong. They were supposed to be four guys from Birmingham. Now they've got this this American bloke in here, you know. Yeah, great singer and everything, but it's just not the same dynamic for him. So plus he was, you know, white line fever. Oh my goodness. You know, Bill Ward had serious cocaine, as did Tony, as did Geezer, but apparently not Ronnie. And so they had to replace him with Vinny Apice. Uh, and it was great to see Vinny in the movie. He was awesome yes. in the movie. Yeah. And it's somebody who would, I, I mean, and I just, as soon as he came on and started talking, I'm like, oh my goodness, we would have such a good time talking to this dude because the amount of stuff, the amount of stories that he could tell, the amount of situations he's been in that we would love to hear about is just fantastic. I love when he was like, he, he got in the band and he's asking Ronnie, what what are they saying? I don't, <laughs> I don't understand what Geezer and Tony are even saying. Wait. Right. Wait, are they even speaking English? What is this? Blimey. What's yeah. Blimey, <laughs> it was funny. Now, uh, Hanging and Banging podcast. Also on Pantheon podcast is uh, Carmine Peace and Vinny Apice. Uh, so maybe we could talk to Vinny one day. And certainly we were going, we would have to ask him all sorts of stuff about Ronnie. But but Absolutely. he apparently loved Ronnie. You know, they make Mob Rules, which is also an awesome album. It was actually the first one of the Ronnie James Dio Black Sabbath series that I owned and like listened to back to back. So I had that before Heaven and Hell. Now, as we said on our on our episode, I believe it was 13 on the Dio years of Black Sabbath, Mob Rules is very, very good. Awesome stuff. It's kind of Heaven and Hell part two though. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, like it, it, it it's structured the same way. You know, it kind of has the same come out and hit you in the mouth track. It kind of has the same mellow tracks. It, you know, it, it's, it's great. I, I love it a lot. And it was introduced to us through the the movie Heavy Metal, right? Back in the day, but so so they do these back to back, and then they did uh, the Black and Blue tour, uh, mm-hmm. I think, with uh, Blue Oyster Cult, where they toured America, and whoever would close would close based on who was more popular in that area, which was really a thing back in the day. Yeah, that that makes sense because I mean, you want to, I mean, again, you want to sell these tickets, so it makes sense to put the regional you know, heavy, heavyweight in. In there, yeah, right. And then they do Live Evil, the, the live album. So we get to get a taste of not only what they sound like live, which is fantastic, but then obviously Ronnie's doing some of Ozzy's old tunes, you know. They've mm-hmm. got to do NIB and War Pigs and stuff like that. And you have to do it differently, but stick to it, you know, in some sense. I think he delivers the classic Sabbath stuff very well on Live mm-hmm. Evil. I mean, the new stuff... His stuff with the guys is great, but to get a new a flavor of doing some of those little Aussie tunes, I think makes it really just a killer. One of my very favorite live albums, just because it's got both sides on it. Yeah, 
And I think it's one of those things like, you know, the Van Halen days where he can sing everything. Ozzy cannot, would no way he would touch anything that Ronnie did. No way. <laughs> no way. And Ronnie James Dio is to Sharon Osbourne as Vivian Campbell is to Wendy Dio, basically. They're just thorn in their side. Yes. They have nothing nice to say about. <laughs> Correct. But I think at this point in Black Sabbath, we go back to what happened in Rainbow. I think Tony's now starting to get butthurt that mm-hmm. he's not. It's hit. Well, I, I built this band for 10 years and this guy comes in. But that's what you wanted. You right. wanted this guy to come in and light it up. You wanted him to to be a, to reinvent the whole thing, to, to make everybody forget about your the original guy. And now you're going to be upset. Because, oh, well, no one's paying attention to me anymore. Right. Ronnie's on the cover of all the magazines and all the Correct. articles, you know. And it's like, well, Correct. yeah, because he's, A, he's the singer. I'm sorry. That's the way it works. Especially in America, the mm-hmm. singer is center stage. And he's new, right? He, right? And he's replacing somebody that people knew for a long time, you know. But it was interesting when he kind of... In the picture, they said it was at that time joining Sabbath that he talked to somebody about, I've got this nice transition to go from me to from Ozzy to me, mm-hmm. because Ozzy did the basically the peace sign that right. you know the Richard Nixon everywhere, right? And Oz and and Ronnie can do the Maloit, which is we call it the devil horns or whatever, but that's kind of where it started. It's like, so I'm still doing a hand gesture to the people, but it's my own. Right. It's not just me doing Ozzy, but it's kind of a continuation of a theme, I guess. Yeah, that's what he said. And I never knew that. And and I think one of the things was that he mentioned, obviously everything that was in there was archive stuff, but he mentioned the fact like, did I invent that? Nah, I wouldn't say that I invented it, but I'm definitely, I made it iconic. I'm like, meh. I would, I would definitely say that because I know there's all, like, if you go back and look at, what is it? Uh, I think it's Love Gun. On, in the in the uh, cover of Love Gun, Gene is doing the two horns with his hand. So it's like, did he invent, I don't know, whatever. No, but, does, but doesn't Gene have his thumb out though? It, it's close. So I, I'm i taking the Sebastian Bach road and say, I'm not going to get in the middle of that right? <laughs> between the two of them. But I would say that Ronnie definitely made it. He made it his own. All right. Yeah. I'm going with Ronnie on that one. Sorry, Gene. Um, yeah. You've invented, invented everything else, I right? I invented that. I invented stage lighting. That's right. <laughs> I invented dating share. <laughs> so, all right. So once again, things start to crumble. And I think it was the mix of live evil that really started to break the camels back there. Right. It was like, Ronnie that's would, what it sounded like. Yeah. Ronnie would come in and, and remix stuff that Tony wouldn't let him do. And the next day, Tony would be like, what the heck is this? This isn't mm-hmm. right at all. You know, it's like, all right, well, this isn't working out. Which must have been an absolute joy for the sound engineers. Cause you Ugh. think you've got this and they're like, no, it's all wrong. Do it again. Okay. And then the next person comes in and tells you the exact same or the exact opposite. Right. All righty. Yeah. Pain in the pain in the butt. That's for sure. So he's like, mm-hmm. you know what? I've been doing this a long time. I've now had some success. I'm going to go make my own band. Vinny, right. you want to come with me? He's like, yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> Gets Jimmy Bain in. And then they get the young hotshot shredder from Ireland, one Vivian Campbell. Correct. And the, the funny part about this was, I guess he called Jimmy to ask him who he should hire. He, you know, do you have some names? And Jimmy was like, yeah, you need to get this kid, Vivian Campbell. And when do I show up? Uh, when do we start recording? It's like, <laughs> just assumed he was part of the band. Yeah. Right? <laughs> did I, did I say that, that you were hired, but okay, cool. Come on board. But yeah, I guess he was just like, yeah, let's do this. So yeah. And here's where the movie kind of takes a turn for me. Okay, this is what I was waiting for. Yeah, because the only Vivian Campbell stuff is archive stuff from different interviews that he did. There was nothing new for this. 
And I don't really, I've heard the story both ways, or I've heard two different versions of the story. And it would have been very interesting to get his take now, because I think that they mended some fences before he died. I think that was the case, but I would have a hard time believing that Campbell mended anything with Wendy. I think she doesn't like him at all. And that's why he wasn't in the movie. That's right. You talk about everybody who loved Ronnie James Dio and how he's kind of like the Pied Piper of all these young hard rock acts in LA. And it's, it's not just, you know, about, Hey, let's go get chicks or, you know, Hey, Hey, what are we going to score? It's, you know, are you doing your best? What can you be doing, you know, to get better? You know, you see like Don Dockin, you know, talking about how he wasn't just out to like party and stuff. He we wanted to make sure we were all on the right path to success and stuff like that, which made for pretty good stuff in the movie. But here you get to the point where, yeah, not everybody likes Ronnie. And, you know, Tony, Iommi, obviously they had a breakup. Geezer had a breakup. Bill Ward, you know, eventually broke off from him. But they're all in the picture. And Vivian mm, isn't. No. And he's, he's not going to be. <laughs> No, but it was good that they had so much in it. And I read some stuff that, you know, Vivian's done some interviews since this came out. We, we have to first say, you know, look, they did. Um, he, he did an amazing job with these first few albums, these first solo albums. Uh, well, I guess you would call them solo. It's, it's Dio. But Holy Diver mm-hmm. is double platinum in the U.S. And it was it was big time. And then you do the last in line of the year after 1984. It was also platinum and then you go to sacred heart you got this type i mean they're, they're making these iconic rock songs some of them are getting on mtv mm-hmm. rainbow in the dark's a big song for them apparently one that ronnie was ready to rip up like they're <laughs> listening to it on the playback he's like i'm gonna take this razor blade and i'm gonna cut that out and they're like no no dude that's that's awesome don't do that he's like i thank them every day for that but stand up and shout was big for him holy diver the title track big you know and then with the last in line, and they, they did a big, <laughs> they did a big thing on the photo shoot for Holy Diver, right? As far as the the cover goes, and like yeah. priest splashing around in chains underneath the thing, you know. There's they had the photographer there, and like his visual effects guy, like you know the artist that did it. It's crazy. But what did Ronnie call the devil? What was the cute name he had for that? It's Murray. Murray. Yeah. He calls that guy his Murray. His name's Murray. Right. The the one thing that I really liked about when they were talking about Holy Diver is that he he said he went into some horrible place, the, the shed or something at his house or the basement or some. It was just some like real Spartan place, and he just took the base and he made up that you know that what would become Holy Diver, and then and then Vinny said it was the, they recorded originally just the two of them, drums and bass and the vocals, and then yeah, just to, just to hear how that came along, it, it, they were talking about what was it the where were they the sound stage or something where they would just mess around and just the band when they got together and just was you know, it Sound played, City. Sound City, that's what it was. Yeah. They, you know, they, you know, you drink, you you play pinball, you fool around, and and then they were doing Rainbow in the Dark, and it was just the it was just the guitar part, and and uh, Jimmy gets up. He said he had the cigarette hanging out of you know the ash was as long as the cigarette. He just gets up and he just plays the keyboard part like right there, bump 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 bump, and they went whoa, yeah. He said the cigarette didn't even move the whole time, just to have that like, hey, I got an idea, let's put this in. Like, yeah, that's that's what needs to be in there. Yeah, and so those those four did so well in those first three records, selling you know more than four million in the U.S. and you know lots more around the world, and they get to go on tour and on tour they can squeeze in some other Dio songs they can do stuff like Stargazer if they want to or Man Mm -hmm. on the Silver Mountain and things like that so they start the headline and dude they put together this killer stage show 
which by 1985, 86 included this laser sword where he actually slays the big dragon with it and mm -hmm. stuff like that. I think I have a VHS. My friend <laughs> JLo gave me somewhere on that. I don't know if I could <laughs> play it on anything anymore, but uh, at any rate, I mean, it was it was worth the price of admission, right? They, they were going to give the fans a lot of bang for the buck, big mm -hmm. stage, big effects, pyro, stuff like that. He really helped bring the heavy metal show into the 80s. Yeah, because by this point in time, Kiss was, they were... They're done. Yeah, I mean, they, well, they were still around, but not not like that, not like the over the top. Like they still had, they still had pyro, but they didn't yeah. have the, they didn't have the stage stuff like he had. That's right. They, they had reinvented themselves, taking the makeup off in, in mm -hmm. the mid 80s there. So yeah, no, you're right. And they still had a big bombastic stage show, but it wasn't quite the same. And so yeah, mm -hmm. Dio was the one kind of taking it to that next level. Okay, so... We've got all that. So apparently what he said to everybody in the band was, guys, you know, first two albums, you're, you know, you're going to get a per diem or, you're, you know, you're going to get whatever we can get. Right. Um, probably going to be much, but stick around. And by the third album, it'll be an equity thing. Mm -hmm. And Vivian remembered this conversation. And he said, hey, Ronnie, remember when you said da-da-da? Well, you know, I think it's time for that. He's like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. You have any songs? Well, no, Ronnie, I don't have any songs, but I want to know, <laughs> am I going to get paid for my time? Because he's, he's a hot shot. I mean, he, mm -hmm. he is in demand. He has options if he leaves. And I think Ronnie eventually kind of took it the wrong way, maybe. He's like, who's this kid who I've given a chance to, who I've made world famous? Not to mention, he's like... <laughs> Look, I know how this business works because I got screwed in Rainbow and I got screwed in Black Sabbath and mm -hmm. I'm not getting screwed again. You know, at this point, he's in his 40s and he's paid his dues and he's got this kid who he's made a star saying, give me more. And he's like, no, no, I'm not going to do it. You know? But here's where, right. That's and that. here's where I go back to my human nature comment from before. Now he's Blackmore. Now he's Iomi saying right. the same thing. Who is this snot-nosed little kid? I took you, and I know that's what Blackmore said. I took you from nothing and made you this huge star, and now you think you're in charge? Get out of here. And Iomi to some point, and it, it, that's just the way it goes. You know, you have this guy who he can't be contained, I guess, and he's not happy with being a uh, an employee. He wants to be, you know, a full-fledged member of the band. And I think it had some, this is Campbell's account of this. He said it had, it had everything to do with Wendy and she thought that they were just monkeys. The rest, it was Ronnie was the star and then three other guys. And it could be, if you don't want to play ball, I'll get somebody else that looks just like you, plays exactly the same thing, get out of here. What Campbell's thing was, we're all writing these songs together. This is a band thing. It's not like Ronnie's just coming with this music. So th this is the part where it always falls apart when it comes to money. It well, always yeah, and here's the thing. Ronnie and Wendy had, they kind of broke up a little bit. They didn't get divorced, but they kind of mm -hmm. separated and they had issues yeah. and stuff like that. Meanwhile, she's still managing him. I mean, they've been managing him since the 70s, right? Managing the band. And so they're having a trouble, and now all of a sudden the band's having some trouble. I think they just kind of saw it as, we'll get back together. We'll repair this partnership and, and marriage of ours. And in doing so, the casualty is going to be Vivian Campbell and basically anybody else who kind of gets in the way. Right. And and what I didn't realize, too, was that the I, I knew that Wendy was his manager for all those years, but I never realized that, it, according to the movie, she basically said that he came home one day and said, now you're going to manage the band. Mm -hmm. And she and was like, well, OK, like, uh, do I know how to do that? Is this going to be cool? <laughs> right. No, 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 you'll be fine. Do it. And that put a lot of pressure on her to kind of just really step up and take on that role that maybe she wasn't 100% comfortable with. 
And like you were saying, that led to problems in the marriage. Just, I mean, you can't have that much exposure to one person. You, you've got to have some kind of separation. Right. Yeah. Separation of church and state as I like. Correct. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. During COVID when we were, I mean, working at different jobs, but we're working in the same house all day. It's right. Like, oh, we need, oof, we, need the, we need something to change here. You right. Know? And, <laughs> and now imagine all of that and your wife is also technically your boss. Right. Okay, yeah. cool. Add that to the mix. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. And how did she learn to do that? Well, she was a waitress at the Rainbow. Oh, well, by all means, she should be you know, managing a multi-million dollar multinational band. Of course she should, right? Well, exactly. she grew into it, I guess. <laughs> right. Well, no, I mean, she, and she rose to the occasion. And, and and managed him, I think, quite well. But it was just like that. I can't imagine that. You're, you're just doing this now. Okay? I guess I this is how this is happening. So, but look, I mean, people leave bands all the time. And, you know, eventually Vivian went into Whitestake. And that wasn't all bad for him. You know, and eventually he got the Def Leppard gig. What I didn't love to see was when Ronnie was in heaven and hell and somebody asked him about Vivian Campbell, he was like, because Ronnie would always, and they showed it in the film, Ronnie would always stay late to sign autographs and answer questions. And sometimes his recall was remarkable. Like he'd see a fan two years later and be like, hey, the last time I saw you, your yeah. dad was sick. How's he doing? You know, kind of thing. But yeah, and someone's asking him about Vivian Campbell and just talking about what I just low-life piece of shit that he is and I'm like whoa 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 really that's just so uncharacteristic of ronnie even if somebody he doesn't like he usually dresses it up a little bit you know or he's pretty diplomatic not to mention he's usually pretty positive about most everybody that he's worked with you know but oh my god dude just ripping him and then he was ripping deaf leopards like oh you want to go see that candy ass band yeah go right <laughs> ahead i'm like uh well they've outsold you ronnie i mean you know maybe they're not the same genre over, but they record sales and ticket sales, they they can kind of dust you there. So show a little respect. <laughs> but I think that goes back to to his stance that he he basically create he not created, but he helped this guy by giving him this this big opportunity. And basically he, I guess Ronnie felt like he spit it back in his face and was totally ungrateful. And yeah, that was weird because I remember when he passed. There was no one. Even Campbell wouldn't say anything. Mm -hmm. Like I mean, yeah, like he said, he said something like we had our disagreements or something like that. Like he didn't badmouth him. There was nobody that had a bad word to say about Ronnie. Not one single person. That's exactly right. I mean, everybody was pretty positive on you know what a great guy he was. So I mean, you know, it, and, and obviously Vivian had business issues. Mm -hmm. Correct with Ronnie, but I don't think he disliked it until it was like. But then, then they started sniping each other press, and when that starts to happen, you read about it. Crane's like, "Oh, well, he said that about me. Well, let me tell you something about him that you might yeah. not know, you know." And then, and it gets kind of ugly. But that's that's just it's not called music friends. It's called yeah. music business. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. there was a great. They didn't they didn't have it in the movie, but there was a great clip from Dave Mustaine talking about when he first was in the when he first started Megadeth they went on tour with Dio as the opener mm -hmm. and he took Ronnie aside one night and he said I just want to tell you I can't thank you enough for this opportunity and Ronnie being Ronnie was like hey you know I, I can't thank you enough for bringing all these young fans and really pumping the crowd up I, I really you know it's great Dave says to him you don't understand I cannot thank you enough for this and then Ronnie said Okay, we could sit each other. We could sit here and drink each other off all night, or we could go smoke a joint. And yes, exactly. Okay, you know? let's go. Uh, yeah, it's like it's like ten minutes before the show, and he's talking to somebody. He's like, "Well, do you need a warm your voice?" He's like, "No, man, I'm ready to go." He's just having a glass of wine. No, let's talk until it's one minute to go on. Like, are you kidding me? 
you, just, you can belt that out, that huge sound out of you. It's unbelievable. And and going back to those original the the original tapes that that Vinny had that there was the, that demo tape that he played on a cassette. And he was like mm-hmm. it was a jam or something. So I never, and to hear him sing, basically totally unfiltered raw on the on the tape was just it was amazing to hear him. Well, yeah, and to hear all the producers say, "Hey, you know, Roddy, just give me one vocal track. I can let them play. If we're trying to get five, six, ten, twelve takes, I can let them play to the same track." He's like, "No, I'm going to sing with the band." So he would do that. Nobody does that, man. Right. Nobody does that because, because it's too can. hard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I'm really glad that they, because I've seen it before, but I'm really glad they put in that Tenacious D clip where he <laughs> goes in. Yeah, where he goes in, they're like, and he brings his microphone and they're like, dude, this is state of the art. <laughs> like we we don't need anything. And he blows the mics out. Right. And then he's like, yeah, that's why I bring this one. But but the thing is, to to what I really love about that is when he gets done with the take, to see the look on Jack Black and everybody else's face, like, I can't believe we just watched that happen live. Like, it was just... Because, you I mean, you figure after a while, if you're a big-time producer, like, you're just like, eh, whatever. Just, you know, record, stop, record. But to stop for a minute and just have that wide-eyed look like that, there's no way that just happened live. Yeah, dude, you just saw the legend belt it out for you. And, and, then he, and, th- and then he's like... I mean, was that good? Did you need something else? You know, I can do it a different way. I mean, just real humble. Hi, I'm Paul Stevenson from Vintage Rock Pod, and you're listening to The Ugly American Werewolf in London. And then, you know, another thing that I don't think he gets enough credit for is the stars thing. Okay. You know, because, I mean, I mean, in heavy metal circles he does, but the fact of the matter is when they did that USA for Africa thing and feed the world yes you saw a lot of mtv favorites on there and multi-platinum super duper uber stars right Mm -hmm. but you didn't see any hard rock people they were all left out and marginalized like oh no you know you may be good enough to tour arenas and sell a lot of records but you're not good enough to join to be here bob dylan and Cindy lopper you know you're not so they put together their own with a lot of a lot of wailing there's a lot of guitar (laughs) solos on there and eight different lead singers, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> but like you said, Rob Halford, the metal god, the legend is on there. And Ronnie's like, you know, you can do that better. He's like, yeah, okay, uh-huh. Yeah, like, you're right, I will, sir, thank you, you know. Yeah. It's another thing with Don Dockin. He's like, all right, Dockin he... rhymes with rockin'? I'm not so sure. He's like, no, dude, I'm just, I'm nervous, you know, I wanna, I, you know, I love you and, and I just wanna do great for you. He's like, Good man. Now but, let's get but back even, to it. You know? <laughs> right. But but the but the other cool part was they showed the clip after that where he he grabbed him and he you know he kind of he threw his arm around his shoulder and said, Hey, great job. I really appreciate you coming out. That was that was Ronnie. And I didn't realize that that or I didn't put two and two together that basically in the, the sunset strip days, like the Motley Crew days, and uh, he was the godfather. Everybody looked up to him. Yeah. So when he when he did that stars thing, there ever was yeah, when, whenever you need me, I'm all there today. Yeah, yeah. I wonder, can I even get all the right singers? I'm not even so sure I can. I oh, good luck. Cause there there's there's a couple you can get some, but you're not gonna get all of them. Cause there's a couple that are like, ooh, I kind of know you. Hmm. Kevin Dubrow of Quiet Rock. Ronnie, obviously. Rob Halford, obviously. Don Dockin, obviously. That's half of them. Jeff Tate from Queensryche, I think, was one of them. I saw him there, yeah. And then probably somebody like like Ronnie Keel or, you know, somebody of that ilk was there that maybe, you know, was hot at that time. But one thing I was wondering about that USA for Africa, like, why did you tell Ronnie no? Did you tell him because he wasn't, he didn't fit in? He wasn't cool? 
Or did you maybe think that his vocals would kind of eclipse everybody else's? Just curious. Uh, yeah. Interesting question. All right, Eric Bloom for Blue Oyster Cult, which I never okay. really got. We knew Don Dockin was there. Mm -hmm. Dave Manichetti from Y&T, one of Eddie Trunk's okay. favorite, mm -hmm. most overlooked, I think for our buddy Sonny Pooney too. And yeah. Paul Shortino from Rough Cut, which is, I, I, I think that's where Craig Goldie came from before he joined. Oh, maybe. Um... Ronnie's band. But then in the background, I mean, they've got, I mean, look, they've got everybody kind of screaming along, but, you know, Buck Dharma, also, Blue Oyster Cult is there. Brad Gillis of Night Ranger is there. You know, they got Ingve is there. You know, the guys from Spinal Tap. Vince Neil. <laughs> Vince Neil didn't get to sing lead, <laughs> but he well, got to sing in the background. And that's probably well, good for everybody. Probably. Probably. <laughs> there was a, that was a funny clip I forgot with uh, what's his name from Spinal Tap. He's talking about how, yeah, I just met Ingve J. Malmstein. I'm glad that he puts the J in there so that I don't get him confused with the other Ingve Malmstein. That's a good line. <laughs> No doubt about it. Yeah, no, it's, it shows that he had this power for sure, mm -hmm. but he didn't just use it to enrich himself. He used it to help people. And that's, I think, the overlapping theme of the story is that, you know, he was this genuine, hardworking person who was generous of spirit, generous of time. And he, you know, he put a lot of positive. Look, when I saw him and when you see him on the videos, all he ever says to the crowd is thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. You know, he's in heaven and hell. Touring with Dio as Black Sabbath together apart. Thank you for your support. Thank you. Thank you. We love you. He was always appreciative of the crowd. Yeah. And and appreciative with his time. And they had that story about the guy on the water tower. And he, you know, came from the airport to talk to this guy because he was going to, they thought he was going to hurt himself or something. He knew, he knew why he was there and he knew how to connect with the crowd. And it was interesting too, because you can see him when you look at the, at the video of live performances, he locks eyes with people and he yeah. gives them the devil, like he gives you the devil horns, not just like, oh, hey, whatever. Like, so you feel like, ah, oh, like he's looking at me. He remembers me. This is, he he understands how to connect and what he needs to do as a performer to get the crowd into it. And, you know, another thing I want to give him a lot of credit for is that getting to the mid and then the late nineties, when this kind of music was kind of given the cold shoulder by record companies, the grunge thing had kind of taken over that, hard rock medium right mm -hmm. uh, away from the kind of classic metal bands and and what i liked about the movies you know eddie trunk talking about how one day it's like all these that you listen to pfft, those are out you got to play all this here's the smashing pumpkins here's all this and it's like that's great if it gets rid of lover boy and poison <laughs> and bands we don't really need anyway but it got rid of all the great bands of that genre as well you know it's like they're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. it all has to go so suddenly he can't play arenas anymore and he's got to play mm -hmm. theaters and clubs and stuff like that but he did he kept going out and doing it and that's i give the same credit to steve harris and the iron maiden guys who mm -hmm. i saw in a club in the shade i think it was the shades nightclub or some one of those places in jacksonville when they had blaze as their lead singer mm -hmm. and you know they could have said look if we can't sell out at least theaters in america we're not going to do it you know that's beneath us and we're iron maiden we go tour other places parts of the world and and sell out They're like no we signed up for this a long time ago and if we need to build it back up this is what we're going to do and that's what ronnie did he he went back and just just kept at it right just kept at it and i'm also glad of the whole heaven and hell thing they, they tried to get back together i mean they did what they did the computer god record in 92 or whatever it was got yeah, a song as, into, into the wayne's world yeah as black sabbath though right as black that, sabbath yeah, yeah okay got back in with black sabbath 
but it was still, it was kind of just not great timing. And I do believe it wasn't too long after that, that Ozzy kind of got back with, with Sabbath. Right. Cause it, yeah. Cause then they started doing that. Yeah. Once, once the Ozfest thing came along and then, you know, black Sabbath or his black Sabbath was the headliner to most of them, or at least the co-headliner yet yeah, that unfortunately I think Ronnie got pushed out again. Right. But then they knew we were going to be taking a break from Sabbath. They knew we were going to take a break from Ozzy. They got back together and said, well, do you want to, you want to try to do something again? And they did, they went out and toured and then they made another album together, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. And I was just so glad I got to see it because those songs that you listen to, and I listen to Heaven and Hell and, and Mob Rules together back to back, kind of like Asian Alpha. I always just kind of listen mm-hmm. to them together. I always listen to Heaven and Hell and, and Mob Rules back to back. And then to hear, I mean, that's most of their set. They have a couple of new songs, but that's most of their set. And to see those perform live on a big stage in an amphitheater, in an arena, it was so, so very cool. And I know that they all felt good about being back on top again. Yeah, and and exposing that to a new generation, but also letting people come back and see this these songs again. Because, I mean, like we talked about, even the, the Ozzy Black Sabbath is never going to touch any of the Ronnie stuff. So if he's in the band, if that's the band, all that, all Ronnie stuff is out. Yeah, no, I, I think in the movie... Wendy said they decided to call it heaven and hell. Mm-hmm. Well, they didn't decide. They, you know, they couldn't call it Black Sabbath because mm-hmm. once they got Black Sabbath original four back together, Sharon put it in there that you can't call any other iteration Black Sabbath unless Bill needs to sit out and then we can get a replacement for Bill. But you can't have Black Sabbath without Ozzy is basically right. what she did. Which I mean, that's I mean that's Sharon looking out for her. That's know, right. Her, star so yeah i I don't have any problem with that and actually i mean there's i think we talked about this when we reviewed heaven and hell there is a there's a case to be made that they should have just changed the name when they put that record out and just been a completely different band well it goes both ways but i mean because it was so different i know i know but the the record company is also like you got this great big brand that we can sell. Correct. Let's call and, it Black Sabbath. You know? Well, and the, and the thing is, I'm sure Tony Iommi was in the same thing. This is my band. I don't care who left. I am Black Sabbath as long as I'm here. So yeah, I see why they did that. But it was kind of cool because, well, I didn't realize that in Heaven and Hell, Bill was not in that. It was Vinny. So it was That's basically right. the Mob Rules lineup. So yeah, that was that was That's cool. right. Or the Live Evil lineup. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, And it's just good to see that they kind of reconciled and obviously got great success out of it. And and obviously it was sad when obviously then Ronnie gets sick, you know, and I mean, it, it, was, it was, I guess it's great to see some of that behind the scenes stuff and to see him in the hospital bed and talk about how he's going to make it and things like that. But that's tough. And then you see Eddie crying and Wendy crying and, and people, you know, it's still affects you all these years later. And yeah, I, I, after three beers, I was starting to get a little bit, <laughs> damn it. Well, yeah, you know, I'm like, all right, keep it together. I didn't realize it had been that long since he had died, but I mean, it's he died in 2010, so yeah, years. And and the whole thing about the the clip of the Golden Gods Award, where they're like, okay, he's looking good, he's you know, he's gotten treatment. They gave him the the experimental stuff, so yeah, he looks really good. I think we've turned the corner, and then now that wasn't it at all. I know, I know, and and nothing lasts forever. Not all these rock stars are going to live to be really old, and. The fact that all four original members of Black Sabbath are still alive is just unbelievable to <laughs> that me. That defies, I, I don't defies get the it. odds. You know, yeah, it, it makes no sense. Whereas, you know, somebody, you know, other people obviously don't make it quite as long. But I, I just think it's it's an incredible legacy mm-hmm. to leave behind. And he was so underappreciated. Like we talk about Rainbow. Rainbow is bigger in Japan than like the Rolling Stones are. You know, they're huge. They're huge in Europe. 
but they can't crack the U.S. And that's why Richie wanted to bring in Graham Bonnet, you know, and, right. and get some commercial stuff going. Black Sabbath hits it big with Ronnie, but they still got their issues and they're not quite as big as they used to be in Europe and that kind of thing. And Ronnie's like, I paid my dues. Once I get my own band, I'm not giving it up. And and he didn't, you know, and, and good for him for for knowing that, hey, this is what I need to do for me. I, You know, the Red Caps were great, but they didn't make me any money. The Electric <laughs> Elves were great, but I'm not getting any royalties for any of that. You know, Rainbow may have been iconic, but I'm not getting paid for that. Once I get my own thing, I got to hold on to that. And he did. Right. And, and there's there's nothing wrong with that. And and I can't remember who brought it up about how they compared him to Ali, like the three-time world champion and three different three different eras. So, right. like, yeah, you're right. I mean, he was huge in Rainbow. He brought Black Sabbath back from the abyss. Right. And then he started his own band. And yeah, I, I like you said, when he when he was in charge, I mean, at this point in time, he was well into his 40s in the 80s. I mean, he yeah. was 40 in what, 82. Yeah, I'm not giving this up. And I'm sorry, Vivian Campbell, but this yeah. is my money now. Yeah, go go join your own band, man. Go make your own thing because I'm I'm doing this, and I'm it says right. Dio on the top of the bill. Correct. <laughs> that is correct. Let me just check that real quick. Oh yes, it doesn't say it doesn't say the Dio band. It just says Dio. That's right. So God rest you, Ronnie. I, I just one of my great honors to to see you play live. I will never stop listening to, and the first three Rainbow Records, man, I could put those three together too and listen to that. You can take a nice long hour and a half, two hour hike. You can listen to all three of those back to back. Mm. It's it's pretty great. I don't know. I, I don't know that we'll ever find another person with the voice and the connection like Ronnie ever again. I, I don't think so. And I don't, I think he was just a special person in general. You know, at the end when, when Eddie was talking about, you know, crying about him having the cancer diagnosis and Ronnie like lifting him up like no 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 it's going to be okay like he was just he was just that kind of guy and like i said when he died no one had a bad word to say they're all like oh i can't wait to tell you my ronnie story about how i knew him and you know what how we hung out together and the fun that we had and there's really nobody else like that i don't care anybody else you're gonna find a couple of people that are like nah this guy was a jerk right. no one ever had a bad word to say about him because he was just such a i think he he knew what he wanted to do he knew what he had to do in his life and he was going to do it and he was going to encourage people to do the same thing. Follow, you know, you got a dream, follow your dream. Don't let anybody tell you that you can't do this. I know you can. Yeah. And when, you know, his bandmates, whether it be Richie Blackmore or the label in the late 80s or the early 90s, like, okay, things are changing. Now you got to do something else. He's like, no, I'm not singing about, you know, I'm singing about mystical dreams and things like that. I'm not singing about my girlfriend or whatever, that kind of thing. It's an otherworldly experience. It's what I want to do. I'm not chasing that gold album or that, you know, top 40 hit. I'm going to do music that I love. And then we're going to take it on the road and we're going to deliver it every night. And that's, that's what he did basically till the day he died. And there was, a, there was a line in there and I can't remember who said it, but something about how his music, he was never the victim in his music. It was more the he was more the sage. Like he was mm -hmm. telling you, he was telling you a story. It wasn't like you know, I've, I'm down. I've I've got the blues. My baby done left me. It was always like, yeah, you know, the positive message and moving forward. And I think that connected with a lot of people. Absolutely, man. People just love the guy. And Eddie Trunk had a because he used to do that metal show on VH1 mm -hmm. Classic. And once he passed away, he basically did a, a tribute to, to Ronnie and had a lot of people out. He had Craig Goldie on to play guitar everyone's dressed in black and just everyone's talking about memories and 
how, you know, you could have met him in the rainbow in 1978 and then you didn't see him again until 1983 and he'd be like, oh, Jackson, you know, how you doing, man? Is your band still, you know, like he just had that effect on people, just a special human being. Like you said, the only person who really didn't like him besides Sharon Osbourne maybe was Vivian. But I think once Ronnie died, Vivian kind of put it to rest. And, you know, he they did, um, he and Vinny and, and Jimmy Bain did start the whole... Um, yeah, they do the Dio Disciples. Right, now. you know, they, they kind of do their own their own thing now. And and, um, and even, like, did he not really like him? Or did, was it just about, just a disagreement about money? Like, I don't think he ever said, Ronnie's a jerk, I don't like him. I think he was just mad that he wasn't getting paid what he thought he was going to get paid. Or what he was entitled to get paid. Well, right. I mean, and then, like I said, the sniping starts in the uh, press, and then you mm-hmm. do say stuff that pisses somebody else off, or, or you know, gets personal or whatever. Yeah. But at, at the end, once he's gone, it's like there's no there's no reason to hold a grudge anymore, and things kind of worked out for everybody in the end. I mean, to be honest with you. Right. Correct. I mean, yeah. Vivian went on to to have a big career outside of Dio. They, you know, they did Last in Line band with oh, Jimmy Bain, Vinnie Appice, and I think their singer's name is Andrew Freeman, trying to do songs in the vein of that 83, 84, 85 Dio. Kind of like the classic 78 guys. Did you did you hear the, the shout out loud cast with the classic 78 guys? I did, yeah. That was that was very interesting. Well, that was our take on the Ronnie James Dio biopic Dreamers Never Die that we saw one night only. For Jackson, it was Jacksonville. He gets his own ville. He's so cool. For me, it was Amsterdam at the Path or Pathé Arena. It was fun to be there. It's fun that they offer you ceramic top grolsch in the lobby along with your popcorn. I think that was a great part of it. But honestly, it's just great to see Ronnie again. I'm glad he finally got the treatment that he deserves in a documentary like this to chronicle his life and his amazing career. We may not have gone in-depth on the movie as far as every scene and everything he did growing up. Obviously, it gets interesting once he's in Elf and then Rainbow and Black Sabbath and then going on to become the man we know as Ronnie James Dio with all those big hits from the 80s, all the tours, all the people who loved him, you know, and I include myself among them. When I got to see Heaven and Hell, like I I didn't catch on till Black Sabbath on the Ronnie James Dio era until later in life. I was about 30 years old. And so once that happened, I'm like, wow, I wonder if they'd ever tour like this again. It didn't look good because Ozzy was monopolizing Black Sabbath, and we understand that it's a big brand and they have a lot of money to make on the Ozfest and things like that. I was just hoping one day we would see them play these songs again when they did Heaven and Hell. I was so fortunate. I saw them twice. I could have seen them 50 times. I loved it so much. I'm just so happy that they actually went out there and showed those songs off. It's very special to me. And the movie is killer. It's got a lot of folks in it. You know, you got your Lita Fords in there. You got your The Voice of Rock. Glenn Hughes is in there. Eddie Trunk's in there, Mick Wall, the surviving members of Black Sabbath minus Ozzy, basically all his bandmates except Vivian Campbell. And hey, look, we know he got into it with Vivian. He and Vivian then started sniping in the press, and that's never good for anybody. I do hope they resolve their differences, because Ronnie's gone now. There's nothing we can do about it. But this movie is a great way to remember him. It was a great night out for me, and I think you'd like it too. I have a feeling 
that it will be out on DVD by the holidays. It really ought to be. If not, it'll be streaming by then, and then maybe you'll get to, to own it physically in the coming year. But love Ronnie James Dio, and you can check out our show number 13 on the Dio years of Black Sabbath. Of course, they just announced that they're going to be doing a 40th anniversary edition of Heaven and Hell and The Mob Rules, and even though I might have the 20th edition and the 30th edition, I got a feeling I'll be buying the 40th editions as soon as they're available in November. You can check that out wherever you get your records. Two of my favorite metal albums of all time, and they're great back-to-back. Yes, there's a drummer change between Bill Ward to Vinny Apice between those two. But honestly, great hard rock, great heavy metal, classic Black Sabbath, great Ronnie. Love those albums. Love them to bits. So, as usual, folks, we want to know, did we get something right? Did we get something wrong? Did we miss the point? Did we leave out your favorite part? You have got to let us know. You can contact us at UglyAmericanWerewolf at gmail.com. You can also tweet us or DM us at Ugly underscore Werewolf at ActionJack72. We're also on Instagram. We're also on YouTube. And if you're listening to this, we're also going to be in Indianapolis on Friday, October 14th, Close Hall, to see Nick Mason's Saucer Full of Secrets. And if you want to win VIP experience, front row tickets, probably a little late for the indie show if you're listening to this, but go to www.pantheonpodcast.com backslash Nick Mason, and you can enter to win on the Midwest and West Coast shows. It's going to be a special night. We are really, really looking forward to it. A very special thanks to our friends at Pantheon Podcast for helping us along. And, of course, special thanks to our amazing sponsor, RareVinyl.com. Or you can go to EIL.com, but go there to find the classic vintage albums in mid condition that you're looking for. Be sure to use code PODCAST, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, to get 10% off not only your first order, but every order that ships all around the world. Next week, well, we're going to be wrapping up our time in Indianapolis with Nick Mason's Saucer Full of Secrets. So expect me and Jackson to have a review of the show. We might have some snippets of the show in there. We might have some snippets from talking to some fans. Hopefully someone will win the VIP contest. Maybe they'll want to be on our show. Who knows? But we're looking forward to it. I can't wait to be back in the States. I haven't been to America in, I think it's been 16 months since I've been in my home country. Lots going on with me, but just looking forward to it in a big way. So to all you rock and rollers all around the world, until next time, be cool and stay safe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.